We are really, really glad that you're here this morning to worship with us. It's Christmas Eve, cold, cold morning of Christmas Eve. Um, especially if you're a guest with us, welcome, uh, maybe for the first time. Like I said, we're honored that you would choose to spend uh, this, this holiday weekend with us. I want to read uh, the passage we're really going to focus on this morning. I want to read it, and then we'll, we'll pray. It was one of the scriptures that Chris read, but I want to read it again just to to hopefully focus us in here on this particular part. Luke 2, 10 through 14, they'll be up on the screens, this passage will. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Let's pray. (coughs) Father, I, I thank you for this day. And I pray right now if there are still any distractions, there are any, um, there's any anxiety in the room, I pray that just for the next 30 or 45 minutes, you would take that away, help us set aside the things we're thinking about, things we need to do today, things that we've done, how maybe tired we are. I pray that you would allow us to focus and to really allow our minds to zero in on why we're doing all we're doing today and why we've been talking about what we've been talking about for the last month. Prepare our minds to hear the truth, prepare our hearts to hear the truth, and I pray that um, our lives would be changed as a result of looking at your word this morning. And then it wouldn't just be the same thing that we hear over and over even though it, it's going to be very, very familiar, I pray that it would change us. Even if it is familiar to the majority of us in this room. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really, really love this time of year. Christmas is my favorite holiday. I love the traditions. I love the lights. I love the gift giving. I love the singing, I love the songs, I love the gatherings with friends and family. I really, really love this time of year. Christmas is my favorite holiday. But there's something that happens to me, usually starting on the 26th of December, and usually moving on towards about January 2nd, I get this low kind of undercurrent of, of sadness that it's, it's over, like we've there was this huge buildup beginning for a lot of us around Thanksgiving-ish. Some of you crazies, maybe October 1st, building up to Christmas. And there's this big buildup like none other holiday. And then in, in one day or maybe a week, it's over. The holiday is. You take your lights down, take your tree down, the, the wrapping paper that has wrapped the gifts that have been wrapped for a few weeks, maybe some of us for one day, um, is thrown into the trash. And we move on. 
We move on with life as it was before Christmas. And I think for those of us who <coughs> really enjoy this holiday, we look to it to give us some measure of joy, some measure of fulfillment. Maybe it's uh, because it's a break from the normal. Maybe because you tend to maybe get off work or, or school more often during this time of year. Um, but in, in some ways, at least I know I am, and maybe some of you are, that we're like, like Clark, Clark Griswold. That like this, like he was like this, this, this gathering we're having on Christmas has to be perfect. Like he wanted to nail that thing, and it seemed like he was like, like putting all of his eggs into that basket, and he was trying to make up for some area of his life, and he just needed Christmas to come off without a hinge. And maybe it's Buddy the Elf. And Buddy the Elf is in this seems like awesome place, the North Pole, and wants to leave the North Pole because he doesn't look like everyone else. And he wants to come to this magical place called New York City where he thinks he's going to fit in more because he looks like everyone else. But we know at least the first part of that story, it doesn't go that way. New York City is not magical and things don't go well for Buddy in New York City. So I think a lot of us are, are, are like them in the sense that we, we put a lot on Christmas. We have our, our, our hopes in Christmas and we, we, we hope that something's going to happen, I think, on Christmas. And I've asked myself that question. Well, why is that the case? And I think that reveals, at least for me, that there may be something wrong inside of me. And I think there's something maybe I perceive wrong with the world that I want fixed during Christmas. Or at least moving into Christmas every year, there's this kind of hope that, that maybe uh, something's going to change. Or this will be a great season. Or this, these next you know, four to six weeks will be amazing. And even maybe some of you are the type that don't want anything to do with Christmas. You're tired of it. You wish we could just skip it. It reminds you of, of, of loss, broken relationships, pain. And I think for you, in the opposite way, Christmas is a reminder that something is not right with the world. Something needs to be fixed in the world we live in, and Christmas tends to heighten heighten those, those areas of brokenness and areas that we are so desperately looking for peace. So I think either way, whatever person you are as it relates to Christmas, it actually reveals something about you and about the world. I think it's important for us to recognize that and to know. It seems like Christmas shows us there's something that's lacking in ourselves and in the world. Like we look to Christmas to solve some of us our deepest needs. Things we want, things we desire. But if we were honest, I think most of us at least are looking for Christmas in those ways. The 26th comes and we didn't, it didn't quite live up to the buildup. It didn't quite solve the problems and meet the needs that we thought it would meet. And the world just kind of keeps on going the way it did before Thanksgiving, maybe, for us. So with Christmas being tomorrow, I really want to cut through a lot, of, a lot of stuff and really just get simplify things and be real clear about Jesus. Jesus is, is the only answer to humans, humanity's greatest need. Jesus is the only answer to humanity's greatest 
need. Let's look at this passage again, Luke 2, 10 through 14. So the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. If there were any five verses like in the Christmas story, these are the five verses, in my opinion, that kind of encapsulate how Jesus came, and why he came. We see in verse 10 there, it says that Jesus' Jesus coming is good news of great joy. And Luke just didn't stop at good news, could have. He says good news, and he doubles down. He says good news of great joy. So not only is it good news, it's actually this good news that contains in it great joy. You notice the next phrase, he doesn't, say it's not exclusive to a certain group of people. He says, for all people. Like this grace, this mercy, this love found in Jesus is available to all people. And, but, but why is it great news of great joy? Why is, it, why is that the case? The next verse, verse 11 tells us, it's because he is the Savior and he is Lord. This baby who we're celebrating today is Savior, and he is Lord. He is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for for hundreds of years that was written about in the Old Testament, especially um, in the Old Testament prophets. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that humanity's greatest need is to have a Lord and a Savior, period. I mean, that's the greatest need for humanity at least for a follower of Jesus, is that we need someone to save us and we need someone to be our Lord, to be shown the way, to help us live. And because he is the Lord and Savior for, for the world, it is, great, it is good news of great joy. So this is the point of Christmas. This is why we're doing what we're doing. And in our story of redemption, God acts first. He's the the primary actor. He acts first, coming down to earth in the form of a baby, would grow up like any other human being would grow up, die, was resurrected, and will come back again. This is God's role in the redemption story. Now, we all have roles to play in this story, but how we respond to this good news How we respond to the news of Jesus being our Lord and Savior will determine what our role is in the story of redemption. So the question I think we all need to be asking ourselves is how how do we respond to Jesus? Maybe how are we responding to Jesus? How do we receive this good news of Jesus coming? And I think to answer this question, we first need to talk about, well, how did Jesus come? How did Jesus come? come. And it's not how we would expect it. Imagine yourself being God, (laughs) sitting up in heaven, thinking about how this is going to play out, how you want it to play out. How are you going to reveal this good news? How are you going to reveal it? 
And also, if Jesus is to be the ultimate authority and to be the king and to be the Lord and the Savior, like how was he going to get that power? So how are you going to reveal it is a question I think, obviously, if, if I'm God, I'm asking. And how is Jesus going to get authority? Well, how, how is he going to reveal it? Well, I think if I'm him, I would try to draw as much attention to po- as possible to this birth. If this is who Jesus is, I'm drawing a lot of attention to this. Our culture does this for big events, engagements, big news, telling everybody. Weddings, show everybody the pictures because someone's married, we're married. Your favorite team wins a championship. You tell people, you let everybody know, this is what happened. Companies take out an ad in the upcoming Super Bowl to communicate a new product. They've paid millions and millions of dollars to get this and paying people hundreds of thousands of dollars to do marketing to get, hit the right tone on this commercial. The long-awaited movie, the producer decides to tease us with a trailer online. This is how our culture announces events that they want us to pay attention to. Big, loud, everywhere. We want people to know about these things. But that's not the way God chose to do it. Probably not the way that any of us would choose to reveal something as important as this news. And as, as far as his authority goes and his kingship and him being Lord and Savior, I would probably take a more military approach. Okay, I'm going to have an army of angels set up, and if anybody comes against the mission that Jesus has, has before him, I'm going to intervene with my army of angels to make sure that Everyone knows that he is the Lord and Savior and to make sure his kingdom is established. That's how I would do it. But we know that's not the way it happened either. This creator of all things, God, who could speak, speak something into being. He speaks it and it happens. He chooses to become one of his creations. In this broken and busted up world, he comes down to live the life. He would experience everything a child experiences, pain, suffering, sickness, difficulties that come from having a job, learning a trade. He was a carpenter. He chose to experience all of these things. Was born to simple people, Joseph and Mary. His first bed was some kind of trough that animals ate out of. The first people to him to reveal this news to were people that were on the outskirts of, of the community of community life, on the outskirts of the city. The, some of the first people to worship him were outsiders from the east, from a faraway place, coming to worship him. That he would be, be raised in this backwood city of Nazareth. His own people would reject him. He did miracles, cast out demons, was compassionate towards the people who needed to be compassionate towards. One of his closest friends turned his back on him and betrayed him. The rest of his friends at the very end gave up, went away, were scared off. He was arrested and died a horrible death through the method of crucifixion. 
in a humiliating way. If, there, there's, one, if there's one word or kind of phrase that I, that I think I could, could sum up how Jesus came is humility. He was humble. This was part of the plan all along. God chose a method of humility for all of these things to happen. So I think for us, as we respond to Jesus, the thing that we need to have is humility. We need to walk out of here being humble people in order to respond to Jesus the way that hopefully we respond, the the way that the scriptures want us to respond. And we know that people don't all respond to Jesus equally. Not all people welcome him. A lot of people don't want anything to do with Jesus. Some people are indifferent to Jesus. They don't necessarily dislike him, but they don't really buy the Lord and Savior deal. Some people treat Jesus as kind of a a, a good thing on on the buffet of life where occasionally praying to him is good. When when we need him, we'll go to that, that part of the buffet. It looks pretty good on a resume, some people think. This is, maybe we learned some lessons from Jesus. These are many different ways to respond to Jesus. But I think the scripture lays out really many ways we can respond in humility, but I think there are three primary ways we can respond in humility to our need. And for the rest of our time, we're going to look quickly at these three things. The first thing, we need to be humble enough to admit that we need a Savior. It all starts here. We have to be humble enough to know we need a savior because he can't save those who, who think they don't need saving. He's not a savior to those who think they've saved themselves. Uh, Jesus in a, in a teaching um, in, in the gospel of Luke says this, it's in Luke 18, 10 through 14, kind of comparing two ways to respond to Jesus and his grace. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, which is a re- religious leader, and the other a tax collector, whom most people would have considered a sinner, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. It's pointing to the tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I can get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, This man, talking about the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified or forgiven, brought back into relationship with God, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Mark 2, another, he uses this this medical imagery here that I love. He says, "And, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus is very creative here, obviously, trying to draw our attention to the medical field, because this makes sense, I think, to us, that to be able to be healed by a physician, to be given medicine by a physician, we have to first admit that we're sick. Before we, can, before we even go to the doctor, we have to be self-aware enough to say, I need help, and I don't have the training I don't have the access to medicine that I need to fix myself. Therefore, I'm going to go to a physician, a doctor, nurse, to help heal me. 
Well, the first part of getting healed in, in, in the medical world is actually knowing that you're sick and going to someone who can actually help you. This is what I think what Jesus is trying to get us to think about. It's the same thing with us being sinners and us having a Savior in Jesus. So a truly humble person knows there is nothing they can do to save themselves. True humility. There's nothing I can do to save myself. And the Bible tells us there's, there's nothing that a person who is, who is alienated from God can do to reconcile themselves back into relationship with God. We're told that in the scriptures. We need a savior. It's humanity's greatest need. This is why Jesus came. Secondly, we need to be humble enough to know that we continually need him. So let's just say you understand that you're a sinner and you're saved by grace and you believe that he's a savior. What now? Are you dependent upon him day by day, moment by moment? Because he's still your Lord and your Savior moment by moment, day by day. In John 4, Jesus says this to a woman. This woman was, uh, to give you some context, this woman was, was looking for other things to satisfy her, and he engages her at a well here. It says this, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Listen to what Jesus says. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I not, will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water anymore. So it... If you're a Christian, at some point, we have to understand that, yes, we're saved by grace, and there was a one-time place where that happened, but we are continually dependent upon his grace and his mercy to live this life that he's called us to live. Do we, are we, do we believe that we're still dependent upon Jesus for everything we do in life? John 14, 17, a little bit later in the book, Jesus says, Even the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, talking about his followers, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A few verses down, verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is a reminder that we have the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. If you are a, whole, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. This is a, a spiritual thing. We've been made alive spiritually in our inner being. Okay? We have the Holy Spirit now as followers of Jesus. Do we rely on him? Do we allow him to empower us to live the life that God calls us to live? See, where we're at, we're kind of in that space between, if you think of Christmas about to end and then next Christmas, we're having to wait till next Christmas. Those of us who love this holiday, we find ourselves kind of in the in-between of two Christmas seasons. But the, in, in the same way, we're in the, we're in the, the middle of, of, of this, this tension where Jesus has come, he's died, he's resurrected, he's ascended to heaven, and one day he promises to come back for a second coming. And we find ourselves in this in-between phase. Yes, we, we know Jesus, he's our savior, and we're awaiting him to return, but what do we do in the in-between? And this is it. Realize that we've been empowered by the spirit to live the life that God calls us to live 
as followers of Jesus. Here's the way this works for me. I struggle with this. Um, it's really, I have to be very intentional when I wake up in the mornings to think about God. Like, I don't wake up and automatically think about Jesus. I don't. I think, usually wake up and think, what do I need to do first? And I do it. And I, what I need to do second, and I do it. And, it's, and I need to, 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 to remind myself and set in, think, set in some place some things to get my mind to think about Jesus. If I'm anxious, one of the things that I'll do is I'll just keep doing things because if I can get enough stuff done, that anxiety may go away. It may make it go away with, with achieving or doing more or doing better. Well, I need to remember the Holy Spirit's living inside of me. And in a verse like Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious. Through prayer, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Okay? So ongoing relationship with Jesus through the Spirit says if you're anxious, pray about it. There's, this is a promise. Pray about it and, and, and set your minds on Christ, and he will give you peace. It surpasses all understanding. Another one, when I, need, when I need joy or I need some measure of patience, Galatians 5 is another teaching of Paul, one of the writers in the early church and leaders. 22 and 23 in Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So when I'm wanting joy, or I'm wanting patience, I need to remember that the Spirit is the one who provides these things. I can't muster up joy on my own. I can't try to force myself into patience. I need to pray that the Spirit would help me have these things, possess these things, live like this. And for those of you who are hurting right now, like right now hurting, I pray that you would know that part of Christ coming near to us in the birth, he's, he's here for you. He wants to meet you where you are. To try to pick yourself up and fight through this on your own. You're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit that he fights those battles for you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to, to like the woman at the well, that are you looking to, to solve those problems, to fix those feelings with things that aren't ever going to truly fix them? And Jesus coming near tells us, I, I, I'm present with you. I'm with you. Do you believe that? Believe that I can give you peace. Do you believe that I can give you hope? Do you believe that I can help you navigate through suffering? So the second thing is to be humble enough to know that we're still dependent upon him every day, every moment. The third way to humble ourselves is to know that to love others the way we're called to love others, we need, we need to be humble. We need his grace. We need his mercy to be able to do those things, to treat others the same way that, that we would want to be treated. We have to be humble enough to know we need help to do that. I think all of us in this room would say there's some value to loving others. Wherever you stand with Jesus in here, there'd be some value to loving others. But it becomes really, really hard to, 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 to think through what, how hard is it to put others' needs on the same plane as your needs. I think for some of us, maybe close family members we do that for. How about a stranger you met for the first time who's hurting and broken? But someone you come in contact with who needs help, who needs encouragement, who needs love. 
then it doesn't become so easy to put that person's need on the, needs on the same level as your needs. You need supernatural help to do that. Philippians 2, 3 through 11, this is again another teaching of Paul really talking about the incarnation here, what Jesus came to do. He says, this is, this is, he's, he's addressing how to treat others here, and he calls us back to the incarnation, Jesus coming as a human. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at, the, at, at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So part of this Christmas story is Jesus emptying himself of everything he rightly deserved, coming down out of heaven, taking the form of a servant, and living the life he would live. And it began at his birth. There is no other worldview or religious system or spirituality that gives the, 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 the foundation and the motivation to love others. Like, how, how, more could, 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 how, how much more love could be shown than God coming down in human form, giving his life for people who don't care about him, who rebel against him, who really don't want him around, and giving, laying down his life for those people. There's never been another love shown in the history of the universe like Jesus has shown sinners. The story gives us the foundation and it gives us the motivation to love others like we love ourselves including the stranger that we don't know. We've been shown ultimate love, therefore we love. We've been given the Holy Spirit to empower us to live the life that God calls us to live. And God tells us in the scriptures that in laying our life down for others, we'll actually find our life and be able to live life to the fullest. So it gives us the foundation and the motivation to love others. This story, this humility that Christ showed allows us to be able to do that. The story of Jesus' birth is one of humility. Do you see your need for a Savior? Do you see that? Do you see your need for him day by day? Yes, as a Savior, but to live every moment of every day by his grace and his mercy. And third, do you allow the birth of Jesus and the Christmas story and all who Jesus is I'll give you the foundation and the motivation to love others the way God calls us to love and treat others? These are questions we should be asking ourselves. Because we did nothing to deserve God's grace. When we were at our worst, God loved us. When we were unlovable, he loved us. When we wouldn't come to him, he came to us. When we were in darkness and the world was in darkness, the light came. Jesus came as a baby to live among us. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word once again. I thank you that, especially on a holiday like Christmas and what we're celebrating, that I don't have to get up here and, 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 and make up some story to give us love and hope and peace. Even if I needed to do that, I couldn't beat the story of love that is found in Christ. I couldn't beat it, even if I wanted to come up with a story and make something up. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. And I just pray that today and tomorrow, and even past tomorrow, that I pray that our minds would be fixed on you and your grace and your mercy. And that we would realize Jesus is first and foremost a a Savior, and a Lord. That is such good news. And I pray your spirit would help us realize that it's just not good news, it's good news of great joy. And you would give us freedom and joy and peace and patience and all the things that we all desire as human beings. I pray that we would find those in your son. It's in his name we pray. We're going to move into our time of communion. We do every week here. Jesus, about 33 years later, after his birth, would be sitting around with his closest followers before he would go to die on the cross, took bread, he broke it. Symbolic. He uses a tangible illustration of his body being broken so that we would remember. The illustration there of bread being torn, bread being broken. This would, says this represents my body broken for you. And he took a cup. He says this cup represents the blood that would be shed for you. That's why it's this color. To remember the liquid, the blood covering our sins, past, present, and future. So if, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I just want you to simply remember that he is your Lord and your Savior. You are dependent upon him to show you grace and mercy to save you, and you're dependent upon him to live the life that he's calling us to live and to find peace and joy and freedom. I want you to just take some time to remember that, and that's why we're doing what we're doing and why we've done the last last four weeks talking about Jesus and his coming. And when you come take to, forward to take communion or go to the back, I want you to take it in confidence, realizing that you have a savior. You have a comforter. You have a counselor. That you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to help you and to guide you and to meet you in your pain and your suffering. So when you stand up, I want you to, to, to do that in confidence. Basically, saying, yes, I agree, I amen the fact that Jesus' body was broken for me and his blood was shed for me. And I hope you leave here with a sense of empowerment and confidence and hope that Jesus is your Savior and you can trust him that he is. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, 
Do you believe that you need a Lord and Savior? If you do, he's it. And if you believe that he, he, he died for your sins, taking the wrath of God, and three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin, Satan, and death once and for all, and he ascended back to heaven and is alive today. If you believe those things, then come forward or go to the back and take communion. That's what makes you a follower of Jesus, to believe that you're a sinner in need of grace. And if you're here and you still are not a follower of Jesus and you need time to process, um, please process with somebody who's brought you. I want to give space here to be able to process and think, but this is worth having a conversation about. It's worth processing with someone who knows you and wants to process with you. Don't just think about this and set it aside and move on. I believe you have to wrestle with this, and I'd love to do that with you if you need somebody to do that with. But if that describes you and you're not sure about this faith and belief in Jesus thing, then I just encourage you to stay where you're seated. Um, this is for people who are followers of Jesus and who uh, profess faith and trust in his grace. So take a few minutes, come, come, come to the front or go to the back. We'll tear off a piece. If this is your first time here, we'll tear off a piece of bread and hand it to you, and you can dip it in the cup. So whenever you're ready, come forward or head to the back.